So Psalm 139, you know, each one of these psalms have a, there's a musical component to them. Um, so as we read the scripture this morning, uh, we're going to read it and we're going to have some music playing behind it. And I just really want you to just make room for the Holy Spirit to, to work and to, um, to reveal, uh, reveal himself to you through these words. So uh, these are the words of Psalm 139. have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand holding me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Hey, isn't this a beautiful instrument? Yeah, my joke about harps, which I got from somebody, is that when you get to heaven, the only people who will be playing harps will be harp players. And the drummers will be drumming, and the guitar players will be... But in, the, in those little ephemeral pictures, they're always harp playing. Well, that's not true. But Charlotte will be playing a harp. 
in heaven. And we are grateful for her being with us. And uh, beautiful, beautiful music comes out of that. All right. Uh, in general, men, and more than, and I say men, more than women, struggle with intimacy. Did you know that, by the way? Is that a big secret? Men have a hard time when somebody wants to draw close to them. They, they get a little uncomfortable. And I, I deal with that myself. And you, to be a human being, you've got to, you know, us men, we need to learn how to grow in that way. So uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I had a really good friend. He and his wife were in a very bad traffic accident, and he was severely injured. Uh, he was in serious condition with all kinds of things. But his wife was in critical condition, and in fact, she never woke up and passed on about 10 days ago. It's very difficult. So I called a number of times in this last two or three weeks. I called my friend, uh, Larry, and I asked how, you know, just checking in with him. And the first time I called, uh, he answered the phone and he he said, hi, Mark. And it, it just, things from there just kind of fell apart. And it was, he cried and there was silence and we had a bad phone connection. And it just felt kind of awkward to me, not knowing if I was really doing anything. And you sort of wonder, should I just give him space? Am I, am I being, am I, impo- am I somehow inserting myself where I shouldn't be? And those are the fears of somebody who wonders if this intimacy thing, if you haven't read it right, you know. So anyway, we, we concluded that call. I called him back a few days later, and he was, his voice was stronger. And this is actually before Karen passed, but he was able to talk about his feelings. And the one thing he wanted to say was, thank you for calling me when I couldn't talk. Oh, okay. You know, and I... And I'm just reflecting on that, like, I don't do intimacy all that well. I try to read those signs, and generally I err too often on the side of not drawing close because of my guy stuff or whatever. You know what I'm saying here? Don't we need to grow in that? And just think about if that's true with people, it's true with God even more. He's more other than we are with people. I mean, he's, we're going to look at that today. This is a Psalm 139 that has great intimacy in it, and one of the things that we, I've been trying to get across the point that the Psalms are there to teach us how to pray, like a school that teaches us how to pray. And Jesus starts out the Lord's Prayer with our Father. And if we look at the, the Aramaic of that, it's very tender language. Very, very tender. Very intimate language between the Son and the Father. Abba is how it's, we, we would, so it's a little bit like Daddy. Language of intimacy uh, is part of the prayer life. This psalm will, I believe, help us grow in that. I, uh, I put this up here. This was a, uh, something I, I was struggling in my business life back in the late 80s, and I, I was telling Patty about this, and I was reading this psalm, and, I, and she came up with this, and I, I still can't remember if it's needlepoint or cross-stitch. Help me out. Cross-stitch? Okay. It's funny the guys don't know the answer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but here it, here it is, and it's the end of this psalm, uh, the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And that's where I was at the time, my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way or offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I've had that on my wall. I had it in my business. I had it in, I, it, it's in my office now. And uh, it's, it's a special prayer that I love to pray. Are you ready for Psalm 139? It's a psalm that has tons of 
theology, words about God, it also has tons of psychology, words about David, at least, and we find our voice in David's voice. But it's more than anything else, it's intensely, uh, oops, go back, intensely personal. And we're going to use this framework that the, psalm, the psalmist gives us. There's 24 verses that are broken down into chunks of six verses. The first one talks about how God is all-knowing and all-present and then all-powerful and then all-holy. But in, in getting those characteristics or attributes of God out in front of us, we're going to find out that this is not just a doctrinal psalm. It's a very much a personal psalm as David bumps up against those attributes of God and wonders what it means for him. All right, so we start out, and I'm just going to read this. Uh, we'll, I won't read every verse, but we will touch on most verses, and we'll hover over a few verses, and you're, you're getting, and some of what you're getting here is just is study that I've done, but it's also the reflection of this psalm in my life, that it's, it's what I've learned from it. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. In other words, God knows everything that we do, and not only that, but everything that we think. And that's a bit much for us. There are 7 billion people on the planet, more than that now. Each person with more than 10 trillion brain cells. Some of you might like to think you have a few more than that, but that's plenty. And he knows every thought. You see why David is going to get overwhelmed with the person of God as he prays to him. You discern my going out, which is my public life, and my lying down, and the Hebrew there, the implication is my sexual life, lying down. I don't need to go any further with that, but this is the kind of God. He knows everything. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. In other words, he can finish your sentences for you if your spouse can't. (laughs) He knows. And then he reflects on all of that, and he gets a little nervous, which is, I think, my response. I think it's your response. If God knows everything, then he knows, you know, fill in the blank, that temptation that you have, that skeleton in your closet, whatever it is, that need that you have, he knows that completely. He knows more about it than you do. So he says in verse 5, you hem me in. Hem me in. It's um, before and behind. In other words, think of a parent maybe who is helicoptering and a little stifling and smothering. And you get a little bit like, golly, it's almost too much for me. You have laid your hand upon me. We're, we're going to run into that, hand, that word hand again, but when somebody lays their hand upon you, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Think about it. What would your dog say? <laughs> well, you pet your dog. You let your dog know you love you through your, your hand. Or you may have to swat your dog. And, and the hand is um, it's an instrument for... It raises ambiguity when he says that your hand is upon me. It's, it's like it's heavy. God. So knowledge, and then this leads us into um, this ambiguity and this ang- little bit of anxiety that is, is in the wonder leads us into the next section. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Lord, isn't there a place I can go for 30 minutes and not find you there? Come on. Just a break. I need some space. 
God does not seem to respect our privacy. And it's overwhelming to David. It should be to us as well. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and they did their thing apart from God, their first response just kind of instinctively was to try to hide from God. Is there a place we can go and not have you there? Because it just seems like you're looking at us all the time. So if you're a, a maybe work with kids, uh, this is uh, my wife works with kids who have uh, some issues with uh, how to relate to other people and they use this little poster. This is part of it, the Superflex uh, Unthinkables. And uh, this helps kids, at, and she's actually had to use it on me a few times, so it's, uh, I confess to that. Uh, right over here is the Space Invader, which I can be a space invader, you know. But is God a space invader? In other words, is there, is there really no time where I can get away and have some privacy? And David is struggling with this. I want to go to um, this dilemma that we have, and it's the relationship between intimacy and privacy. If you're going to have high intimacy with, some, intimacy with somebody, you need high privacy. Intimacy is, is you're being vulnerable and exposed. You need something. This is why... This is why I'll just insert this, but why living together before marriage is, is you're getting your high intimacy, but without that shield around it that provides privacy and protection for you, which the marriage covenant does. So high intimacy, if, we're gonna, if I'm going to make myself vulnerable to somebody else, I need to know there's a sense of privacy here. Does that make sense? Or just, I think, at a human level? Uh, and if I could just insert a sidebar, I read a book this summer on uh, social media written by Sherry Turkle, who teaches at MIT, research-based, and her conclusions are frightening as to what social media is doing with privacy and intimacy, d- diminishing both. And by the way, social media, her research shows, is adding to anxiety, and it's lessening empathy. That's all just some stuff to consider, but we're focusing here on this relationship between privacy and intimacy. And if you're too excessive in your need for privacy, which is kind of like most of us here are in Seattle, where we're, you know, the frozen, whatever is it, what, Seattle freeze, and we like to close the garage door and keep the neighbors out and all of the rest. If we're too, we're not going to experience intimacy. Maybe you've known somebody. Maybe it's you. I've seen it in romantic relationships where one person will sabotage the relationship when it gets too close. It's hard. I mean, because you realize that if you get that vulnerable, that exposed to another person, there's a threat that you'll be discovered and you won't be loved and you'd rather not go through the pain of all that. Poof. So we use privacy to prevent intimacy. It's a dilemma. We have to have privacy to have intimacy, but if we have too much of a need for privacy, we don't get the intimacy. And David feels this vulnerability before God. Do I really want to be that vulnerable before God? Does he have a choice? The poet George Herbert in the 17th century, English poet, I love this one line out of his poem called The Temple. Love bade me welcome, and love is, he means love in the sense of God or Christ. Love bade me welcome, but my soul drew back. 
I think all of us, particularly men, know what it means for our soul to draw back from the invitation to be intimate. We're just guarded. We don't want to get hurt. We want to, as men, we always want to be in control. David's feeling really, really, really out of control, vulnerable, exposed before this God who knows everything about him. This God who's not trapped in the present moment but can see his whole life from the beginning to the end. We're trapped in the present moment. All we can see is now. But he sees the whole thing as if it's now. That is just overwhelming to him. That's why he keeps spewing out these things like, it's too wondrous for me to consider. Where can I go? Verse 8, he says, where can I go? Can I go to the heaven? If I go to the heaven, the place where there's pure bliss and joy and light, you're there. Or if I go to the place of death, you're equally there. So that's the vertical spectrum. And then he goes horizontal. He says, if I go to the east and in the ancient world, east always means a place of hope (laughs) because the sun rises there. You're there. But you're also in the west. And the west is the sea, the place of chaos where the sun goes down and darkness reigns and the Hebrew people did not like water. They did not like water. Light, hope, chaos, darkness. You're there. You're in both those places. What can I do to escape? Are you seeing how it's not all a bad thing? He's there in the worst of places where we find ourselves. And then he says in verse 10, and this is probably the key, at least one of the keys to understanding the psalm, there's two phrases here that talk about the word hand. He says, your hand, we talked about it in verse 6, but your hand is there to guide me. Guide me means to show me how to do life, to teach me what is right, to teach me what is wrong. Your hand is going to guide me. I know that. It feels heavy, though. But then your hand is also there to hold me fast. When I'm in that place of chaos and darkness, you hold me fast. When Jesus, uh, in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus uh, came into a village and there was a little girl and she had died and there were people mourning for her. Do you remember this story? And Jesus goes to her. It's a very big, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And he literally reaches down with his hand and holds her fast and he pulls her through death to life. That's God. He's everywhere. There's no place I can go to get away from him. Romans chapter 8 says, the heights, the depths, the angels, the demons, the present, the future, nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God. But my soul draws back from that love. My soul draws back from that love. And there's transitions in life that some of you are in right now or you're in a bad marriage or you've got a sickness that's hard to cure or whatever it is and you need to know that God is there. But here's the other thing. He's there with his guiding hand showing you how to do life and he's there with his hand that holds you fast and it's not one or the other, it's both and. It's good news. It's overwhelming news, but it's good news. And then we get to the third section where he's enthralled with the way that God has made everything, especially him. He focuses in on the power of God as it relates to him. And he marvels at how wonderfully made he is. And to say that to yourself, to look at yourself, to look in the mirror, it's not a bad thing. It's better than the self-esteem movement. It'll be good for your soul to look in the mirror and say, whoa, look at what God has made. 
fearfully and wonderfully made. No one else could do what he has done. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And he goes to the the place where it all started, in his mother's womb. Is there no place that's sacred with God? His mother's womb. Guess not. And he knows exactly the moment that you were conceived, where those two things came together in an act of love. Oh, but there's love beyond that act of love in that conception. And all the days of your life are ordained. All the days of Karen's life were ordained. God sees, remember, he's not trapped in the present. He, he knows the moment you were conceived and he knows the moment you will take your last breath. And we ought to be careful when we mess around with the beginning of life and the end of life. I don't, I'm not into politics of abortion and euthanasia, but you can do the math. We ought to be very, very careful. This is sacred ground. Sacred ground. And it's sacred because you're fearfully and wonderfully made with an act, in an act of love. And ultimately, it's man and woman who come together and do that. Or, or not ultimately, but in the, in the moment it's that, but ultimately it's God who gives life. Anyway, this is the psalm. He's amazed. And then he uh, comes to verse 17. And he, again, just kind of gushes forth, how precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. Translated better, how precious concerning me are your thoughts. In other words, all the things that God thinks about you all the time. He thinks, this is a little bit, you know, you've got to be careful with it because it's turning into self-centered, but it's really God-centered. He thinks about you more than you do. He knows you better than you know yourself. How precious to me are your thoughts about me, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. He's amazed. And then he talks about awaking, uh, waking up. And uh, it's as if his, at this moment in the psalm, he realizes that I'm back on the planet. I've been lost in meditation, contemplation. I have all this theology about God, and it's overwhelming, but let's get back to planet Earth. And that's where he goes into God's holiness. And immediately he begins pouring out his desire to be on God's side when it comes to ethical issues. And he says, God, I hate the people you hate. I'm on your side. I hate it when evildoers do what they do. Now we have to, we find this language in the Psalms and we have to be careful to not go, you know, thinking, oh, that's good. I can hate people too. No, especially in this election year. We need to remember a couple of things. (laughs) One is that in the New Testament, when we put the glasses on of the New Testament and see more clearly, we see that the enemy is not flesh and blood. It is not people. It is the forces that of, of darkness that are behind the people that we may not agree with. So don't, you know, be careful where you attach the blame. And two, we remember that Jesus, back to the word hands, Jesus put his hands out, he stretched his hands out to receive nails from his enemies as he was praying for them. That qualifies the way we interpret this. That is love vast as an ocean. And then David realizes in verse 23 and 24, and this is where we get to my little plaque here. He realizes that there's, and he's just gone on this rant about all those people who are against God, and then 
as if he remembers what he said earlier about God knowing everything and being able to see into his heart. And he starts to wonder, what about me? Am I pure? Am I clean? Am I going to pass the test? He changes his mood, in other words. And he becomes vulnerable. And uh, there's a sense of being exposed. He becomes humble. And he prays that prayer, that most dangerous of prayers, search me. Search my heart. Test me and see, is there, are there any anxious thoughts? Allow the Holy Spirit right now. Anxious thoughts in you. Own them. Is there any hurtful way in you? Ways that you've offended somebody else? Can you own that? This is what, and then he prays the prayer of leading me. This is a very dangerous prayer because you don't know where, I mean, when you ask the one who sees everything to search you, I mean, what's he going to see? Because he sees stuff that you don't see. It's a blank check for uh, whatever, disaster maybe. But it's what he does. It's dangerous. Search me, oh God. And then he prays a prayer of test me or try me. And where's that going to lead? I mean, I know there's weaknesses in my life. I'm not as strong as I should be. But if I ask him to test me or try me, what's going to happen then? And then he asks him to lead me. Oh, where? Uh, I'll maybe sign up if I know where, you see. It's a dangerous prayer. But, you know, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said something like this. I don't know if I got it completely right, but you might as well give God the future because it belongs to him anyway. Right? We cannot, and this is, this is the bad news and the good news, we cannot take refuge from God. We can find our refuge in him. That's good news. So what I'd like to do right now is pray that dangerous prayer together. And I will pray it in the first person, but if you would just join me in that, this is for all of us as we reflect on this psalm. Search my heart. Search my heart, O God. As the spotlight of your Holy Spirit, which is able to shine on each and every heart in this room, if not on the whole planet, What do you see, Lord? Search my heart. Are my motivations pure? Am I uh, just operating out of my insecurities and anxieties? Search my heart. Have I offended anybody? And I'm not even aware of it. Search my heart. Lord, those times that I don't look forward to that are in the week ahead or days ahead or months ahead, those times where I have to be filled with something besides myself and my anxieties are overwhelming to me. School starts and there's transitions. There's things beyond our control. Search my heart, Lord. Identify those. And then test me. Test me, Lord. Test my faith and my character. And I give you permission because I know you're gentle and you're good and you love me and you want the best for me. I give you permission. I want to work with you on this to strengthen me. And then lead me in the ways of Jesus. Lead me, Lord. I don't care where. I don't care what it costs. Just lead me in the ways of Jesus. I want to be more like him. 
oh, let go. We let go and we let you in with a dangerous prayer, Father, because we trust you and we know you're good. In Christ's name, amen.